Hey there, it's Dusty Thunder here, and I wanted to thank you so much for listening to my podcasts and story compilations. I'd also love to engage with you on my other platforms. I do live multi-streams usually Sunday nights starting at 9 p.m. Central on YouTube, TikTok, Twitch, and now Facebook. I also do live streams every Wednesday on TikTok starting at 3 p.m. Central. And you can connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and at dusty-thunder.com where you can submit your own story, shop swag, even support our Mission Protect the Cake initiative. If you're not subscribed on YouTube yet, I highly recommend it because we post multiple stories there every day. We've rolled out a membership program with exclusive content and we'll be doing even more in 2024. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy the stories and may your days stay astronaut free. Piano Man, Part 2, written and narrated by Dusty Thunder. It was Monday morning at the Steinberg Piano Factory. The production floor began to bustle with commotion as workers flocked in and began their tasks that would start the engine of creation at Steinberg, among them Adolf. He settled into his station, making sure to line his tools up and situate his space just the way he liked it. Good to see you, Adolf. Otto, the young man who was in charge of making sure Adolf had all of the supplies he needed to keep building smoothly, was happy to see that he had returned. Were you ill? Adolf gave Otto a quick, sheepish glance and then nodded, confirming his absence was due to an illness. Ah, well, I'll be sure to keep my distance, Otto joked, quickly turning away and scurrying off to grab more supplies. Adolf buried himself in his work, hunched over with his upper half in the main cavity of the currently in-progress piano build, securing the final set of strings in the piano, but the madness of the past few days haunted him. His last encounter with his mother played over and over in his mind, separated by startling visions of Frida laying lifeless on the ground or being covered with dirt as he buried her. Covering her face didn't do much to prevent further trauma. Every terrible image was now seared into his mind. He couldn't unsee them. In his distracted state, his elbow bumped the prop that was holding up the lid to the piano, and the heavy lid came crashing down on top of him. The force of the lid hitting the back of Adolf's head drove his face into the taut strings inside the piano's chamber, and he let out a terrible scream that echoed throughout the entire building. Help! Adolf pleaded. Everything and everyone froze. They couldn't believe their ears. Adolf had spoken. Of course, what had happened was terrible and shocking, but hearing Adolf speak for the first time was even more shocking. Please! Adolf pleaded again while the lower half of his body flailed outside of the piano. Everyone in the factory looked at each other, realizing that they had all experienced the same shock about the same thing. Adolf speaking, then sprang into action. Thirty men rushed toward Adolf. A few slowly began raising the piano lid as Adolf continued groaning in agony. A few more men slowly pulled Adolf's body out of the piano and laid him on the ground. His face was striped with bloody lines. The back of his head now sported a massive goose egg. The crowd gathered around him to see the carnage, and to see if Adolf might speak again. He didn't. He just continued groaning, clutching the back of his head with one hand and shielding his face with the other. It hurt too badly to touch. He could barely open his eyes, but when he did, he saw enough from the expressions of those huddled around him to know that it was bad. Mr. Becker, factory manager at Steinberg, had heard the commotion from his office on the other end of the building and rushed onto the production floor, fighting through the crowd to see what had happened. What's going on here? Is everyone okay? 
He hadn't seen that it was Adolf who was hurt, and when he finally broke through the crowd and saw Adolf lying there, bloodied up, he covered his mouth in shock. Oh no, Adolf groaned, seeing Mr. Becker through his barely open eyes. Mr. Becker's shock compounded at hearing Adolf speak. He looked around the crowd, now understanding the level of shock each of their faces showed, and without speaking, questioned them to be sure that they had also heard him speak. Several of the onlookers raised eyebrows back at Mr. Becker, confirming that they had heard the same. Quick, grab that canvas. Mr. Becker began barking orders to tend to Adolf. He took the canvas and balled it up to put under Adolf's head. He sent another worker for a wet washcloth so they could begin cleaning up Adolf's face and another to fetch the Heisenberg doctor, whose office was nearby. Everyone else, back to work. The crowd slowly began to disperse, but they didn't stop paying attention, even after they made it back to their stations. Mr. Becker dabbed the washcloth on Adolf's face, soaking up the bloody smears and revealing the perfectly spaced lines made by the piano strings. Just lay still, Adolf. The doctor will be here soon, and he'll get you fixed up. Mr. Becker spoke softly, trying to comfort Adolf. I'm sorry, Adolf blubbered. Sorry, for what? Mr. Becker responded, trying his best to ignore the fact that Adolf was indeed speaking again. The piano... Adolf blubbered harder, angry with himself for damaging the piano he had been working on. Mr. Becker shook his head. Everything is fixable. I'm concerned about you. Just then, the doctor rushed in with his bag and seeing Adolf, removed his hat and coat, rolled up his sleeves, and asked Mr. Becker to have some men move Adolf to a more private setting. Mr. Becker directed his workers and they carried Adolf off to Mr. Becker's office. Mr. Becker paced outside his office while the doctor tended to Adolf. He was with him for quite a long time, but he saw the damage and knew it would take some time to address. While he paced, he thought about everything that had happened. Had Adolf always been able to speak? If so, why wouldn't he have done so prior to today? If not, what changed? He looked over at Frida's desk, which sat right outside his office door, ready to ask her if she had noticed anything when she went to check up on him last week, but Frida wasn't there. His heart sank. He remembered that she hadn't returned to work last Friday. He assumed that he would see her today and would ask what had happened, but her desk was empty and looked just as it did when he had left on Friday. Was she ill? Had she made it to Adolf's? He decided that he would ask Adolf, but he couldn't do that now, not in Adolf's present state. He wanted to ask him about speaking as well, but he wasn't sure that he could do that either. So many unanswered questions, but all that mattered right now was getting Adolf patched up and the doctor reporting that he would be okay. Until then, Mr. Becker would continue to pace and the questions would keep racking up with each step. Finally, the office door opened and the doctor stepped out looking exhausted. He wiped the sweat and blood from his forehead, throwing his jacket over his folded arm, which carried his medical bag. He'll be fine, the doctor reported, but those wounds are likely to scar. Mr. Becker felt a wave of relief at the news. Thank you so much, doctor he said, shaking the doctor's tired hand and showing him the way out. Mr. Becker returned to his office door, pausing to glance over again at Frida's vacant desk before entering. He closed his eyes and muttered to himself, one problem at a time, then took a deep breath, collected himself and opened the door to his office. He entered the room with the confidence of a ship's captain. He would not let his sailor see that he was shaken at this incident or give away his concern at Frida's absence. He was the rock of the Steinberg Piano Factory. His charge was to bring order and solutions, especially in times of desperate chaos. He found Adolf lying in the middle of the floor. His face was covered in gauze that was striped with blood like a candy cane. 
He had his hands folded on his chest, a rolled-up jacket under his head as a makeshift pillow, and his legs were lying flat but limp. He looked dead. Mr. Becker stopped in his tracks, frozen at this scene. He focused his eyes on the gauze covering Adolf's mouth and nose, looking for an indication that he was breathing. For several seconds, the gauze did not move. Mr. Becker's brow furrowed as the concern mounted. Finally, Adolf let out a long exhale from his mouth, and the gauze that was covering it lifted like a parachute. Relief washed over Mr. Becker's entire body. He released his body's frozen state and stepped forward toward Adolf, kneeling down next to him. He placed a hand gently on Adolf's shoulder. Adolf. Mr. Becker gently hailed. Adolf let out another big exhale from his mouth, but this breath turned into a rhythmic chest pulsing. He was crying. I'm so, so, uh, oh, so, uh, 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 Adolf repented through his crying breaths. He couldn't see Mr. Becker with the gauze covering his face, but he knew his voice. Mr. Becker shook his head. Adolf, I told you, I'm not worried about the piano, I'm worried about you. Adolf cried harder. He wasn't apologizing for the piano this time. He was apologizing for what he had done to Frida. Thoughts raced through Mr. Becker's mind. Adolf was clearly in pain. He was speaking, not eloquently, but enough to be understood. Frida was missing. One problem at a time, he thought to himself again, and with that, he clasped Adolf's hand. Let me take you home, Mr. Becker insisted as he pulled Adolf up to a sitting position, putting his other hand on Adolf's back to support him. You can't walk back to your cottage in this state. My carriage will take us most of the way, and I'll be your eyes for the walk. Adolf's cry faded to a whimper. He resolved that he had no choice but to accept Mr. Becker's offer, so he had to pull himself together. He could let all of this poison emotion out in the solace of his cabin. Maintaining his composure for the journey home was going to take every ounce of strength he had left and then some. He hadn't slept since his last encounter with his mother, late Friday night. He refused. He had only returned to work on Monday to forget about the hell he had found himself in and because he thought it would make him less suspect in Frida's disappearance. This was the price of his fatigue, a face striped in guilt, a cursed scarlet letter, a mark of sin, and an uncomfortable journey with the man whose assistant had shown Adolf kindness, and he repaid her with unspeakable evil. N-nightmare. The word escaped Adolf's open mouth before he could stop it. He wasn't yet used to having to filter his thoughts and divert them from his mouth. He had spoken more this day than he ever had in his entire life, and, particularly in his state of distress, he had very little control over anything. The words that escaped him sounded more animal than human. He hoped that Mr. Becker didn't understand this word. His face, still completely covered with gauze, was in shock at his potential fatal misstep. This one word could quickly implicate him in Frida's disappearance. Maybe more, maybe less, maybe nothing. He was worried at the unknown, and he couldn't read Mr. Becker's face to determine how worried he should be. Mr. Becker looked at Adolf's gauze-covered face, grinned slightly, gave a single muted chuckle, and pulled Adolf up to his feet. Adolf wasn't expecting this, and the thrust upward sent his stomach in the opposite direction. His body tensed as he came to his feet. Mr. Becker, seeing Adolf's tension, placed his hands on Adolf's shoulders. It does seem like something that damned horse would do, he said, offering another single muted chuckle. Adolf tensed harder. How did Mr. Becker know about the white mare? The Way Home Adolf and Mr. Becker sat shoulder to shoulder in the carriage. 
Adolph was still tense, silently panicking with curiosity while Mr. Becker navigated the gravel road in Heisenberg. That damned horse. Mr. Becker's words looped in Adolph's mind. How did he know? Had Adolph's mother appeared to him as well, or did he go through this himself? If he did, how did it end? What did he do? What does he know? What doesn't he know? A sudden clatter and the feeling of a short fall let Adolph know that they were outside of town now. The road turns from gravel to dirt around a kilometer down from the path to Adolph's home. Soon the ride would be over, and Adolph would be free from the awkward tension of being blindly pressed against his boss, who had just mentioned the mayor and whose assistant was now buried in the woods they were galloping toward. Mr. Becker had questions of his own to hold in. How was Adolph speaking? What happened today? Had he seen Frida? He kept quiet until they reached their stop and then realized that his work wasn't yet complete. Adolph's cabin was a full kilometer off the road. A footpath was the only option and Adolph wouldn't be walking anywhere without assistance. I'll come around to help you down and then we'll start the walk, Mr. Becker explained to Adolph, ensuring that Adolph wouldn't try to move on his own. He stepped down and walked toward his carriage horse, looking for something sturdy to secure the horse to. The walk would be long, far and slow. Another wave of panic flooded Adolph's mind and body. He hadn't thought this far ahead. He hadn't realized that Mr. Becker would be walking him all the way to his cabin door. Even worse, inside? No, he can't see the piano. No, this cannot happen. Think of something. Adolph pleaded with his mind to solve the impossible. He was so distracted by the questions in his mind during the ride that he neglected to come up with a plan for what came after the ride. All right then, hold out your hand, Mr. Becker instructed, ready to begin the next quiet, uneasy journey. Adolph held out his hand, and Mr. Becker clasped it with a firm brace, allowing Adolph to his feet. Careful now, Mr. Becker instructed, as Adolph began stepping down from the carriage, clasping Adolph's other hand to provide an easier descent to the dirt, safely landing. Adolph tried to look around from behind the gauze still covering his face. The light slowly pulsed through the swaying, half-barren trees and shone with less obstruction above the path that led to Adolph's cabin. He knew where he was. He may be able to navigate the path on his own. I'm fine, Adolph nervously pleaded. Mr. Becker looked at Adolph's gauze-covered face, then at the wooded path to the cabin with ultimate skepticism and confusion. No, Adolph, I don't think you are, and I won't settle for anything less than seeing you safe and comfortable in your own bed. Mr. Becker rebutted. That was the response Adolf expected. He hung his head slightly, then quickly conceded with a nod. He knew it was a long shot, but it was the only idea he had come up with in the few minutes since he discovered that he needed one. He held out his arm for Mr. Becker to guide, and the two set off on the path. The sound of crunching leaves bounced from one tree to another with every step that Adolf and Mr. Becker took camouflaging what would otherwise be deafening silence, except for the occasional watch your step from Mr. Becker. Their respective mysteries occupied their minds. They were each desperate to ask the other so many questions, but neither gave in. Adolf's obsessive curiosity with Mr. Becker's knowledge of the mayor fought for attention with the panic that accompanied the lack of a plan. He still hadn't figured out what he was going to do when they reached the cabin. He was powerless to prevent Mr. Becker from seeing the piano so his mind raced with the possible outcomes. He would want to talk about it. He would have questions. Adolph had no answers, yet, and at their current speed, he estimated that they had 30 minutes to come up with something. That would be plenty of time, so long as Mr. Becker didn't try to spark up a conversation. Adolph, Mr. Becker hailed. Damn, 
Adolf thought. Watch your head here. There's a low branch just ahead. Mr. Becker placed a hand on his shoulder to help him avoid the obstacle. Relief washed over Adolf. He was free to think, running through the infinite potential explanations for the piano and anticipating Mr. Becker's reaction to each. As they drew close to the cabin, Adolf had settled on a path. The truth. Part of it, at least. Ten steps till the door now. I'll get you inside and settled. You'll need to rest. I'm sure you're exhausted. I'll ask the doctor to visit you tomorrow and freshen those bandages. Agreed? Mr. Becker was better at planning his words than Adolf. He had developed this plan in the few seconds before opening his mouth. Adolf wasn't surprised by this. Mr. Becker was always a strong leader. Adolf nodded in agreement and reached for the key in his pocket, deciding to hand it to Mr. Becker rather than try to fumble through unlocking the door himself. Mr. Becker would be entering the cabin and seeing the piano no matter what Adolf did, and he saw no sense in fighting the inevitable. Mr. Becker lifted the key from Adolf's open palm and keeping one hand on Adolf's arm to support him, used the other hand to insert the key into the lock, twist it, and gently push the door in. The rays of the late afternoon sun slowly illuminated Adolf's cabin as the door slowly opened. A thick blanket of shadow peeled away from right to left as Adolf's piano was painted with a wave of light. The tiny curves of its hand-carved surface created hundreds of reflection points. As the light fully revealed the piano, it glistened in glory. It was striking and magnificently unique, not by the standards of society's style, but by the judgment of the universe. Mr. Becker felt as if he had just unsuspectingly stumbled upon a hidden treasure that was seeing light for the first time in a thousand years. He was frozen and dumbfounded. He was breathless, silent. His hand fell slowly from Adolf's arm as his entire body was overridden by sheer awe. Adolf broke the frozen time after a solid minute of silence by taking a step forward toward the door. Mr. Becker realized that his hand had fallen and that he was failing to do his job, guiding Adolf, and quickly returned to his post. Here we are, Mr. Becker said as he established support on Adolf's arm, his voice cracking slightly from the dryness of an open mouth, his eyelids forcibly blinking to replenish his eyeballs from the same dryness. Something about true beauty steals more from the body than attention. There's a cost to gaze upon it. Mr. Becker thought about this as he guided Adolf into the cabin, glancing to the piano to maneuver around it, but mostly to admire the new angle that each step brought. Adolf, this... this is incredible. Mr. Becker finally released, nearly giggling with childlike excitement, looking from the enrapturing piano to the blood-striped gauze-covered Adolf and realizing that he had, once again, abandoned his post as guide. I'm so sorry, Adolf. Let's get you seated, Mr. Becker said with shame, scanning the room for a chair. He saw a single chair near the piano and reached for it, but he quickly realized that this was the only piece of furniture Adolf possessed. There was no bed, no table, just this chair, a pile of tools, and a piano that nearly filled the entire cabin by itself. While continuing to scan the room, he slid the chair behind Adolf's legs and slowly started guiding him downward into it. Adolf let out a deep exhale as he lowered to the seat, Exhausted from the calamity of the day, but ready to blindly face the next challenge, Mr. Becker's questions about the piano. Seated, he placed his hands on his knees and patiently awaited Mr. Becker's next move. He was finally too tired to panic. Mr. Becker's concern at the lack of amenities momentarily won over the piano for his attention. Where do you sleep, Adolf? Mr. Becker continued scanning for a bed, a cot, or a cushion. 
Adolf slowly pointed to the ground underneath the piano. Directing Mr. Becker's eyes to a wadded-up canvas, Adolf's makeshift pillow, at the end of a large spot with less dust than the rest of the floor. That was Adolf's bed. Mr. Becker stared at the spot for a full minute, trying to imagine sleeping there on the floor, underneath a piano, and remembering how fortunate he had been in his life to not be faced with such conditions. His eyes then traveled upward to the piano, and he realized why Adolf had no furniture. He had traded every piece of furniture save that single chair, because of his passion. Pure obsession had fueled his craftsmanship with this piano. The bed didn't matter. The table didn't matter. Crafting this magnificent work of art trumped all of it. That, Mr. Becker understood completely. I must say, Adolf, if I were building this, I'd sleep there too. Mr. Becker smiled with admiration for Adolf's passion and dedication. Adolf tilted his head, surprised at Mr. Becker's words at first, then remembering that he too was a craftsman and lover of pianos. Mr. Becker had built pianos in the station next to Adolf for many years, and he had a real talent for the craft. Seeing Adolf's piano must have brought back an urge to build again. The builder in him likely saw it as a challenge that he wanted to accept, but his role as the boss prevented him from having that kind of fun now. He was envious of Adolf's work on this piano, and that was a sign of respect between builders. Adolf gave a slight chuckle and nodded in understanding. Would you like me to help you to your... bed? Mr. Becker offered with a hint of a joking tone. Adolf held up his hand to signal a stop and shook his head no. I see, Mr. Becker accepted. I trust you'll be able to find your way all right. Adolf nodded yes. All right then, I best be off. Mr. Becker didn't want to leave. He wanted to inspect every inch of Adolf's piano. He wanted to explore and admire the craftsmanship slowly. This didn't seem like the time for that, but the urge to ask for permission nearly won over his manners. Nearly, but not quite. Mr. Becker stepped toward the still open door, stopping at the threshold. The doctor will be by in the morning to freshen those bandages. Get some rest, Adolf. Adolf nodded and raised his hand to signal goodbye. Mr. Becker tipped his hat and stepped out of the cabin, pulling the door shut behind him covering Adolf and his piano in the blanket of shadow they had peeled away just minutes ago. Adolf remained still and silent as he listened to Mr. Becker's footsteps and the leaves become more distant. Once they faded completely, he released everything that he had been holding in for the past several hours. His body went limp. He slumped forward, burying his face in his hands to weep only to realize that he couldn't. His face had been marred by his carelessness, his exhaustion, and his sins. The striped cuts running across his face hurt to touch, so he wept into his gauze, placing his hands on the top of his head, his elbows on his knees, rocking back and forth on waves of emotion that crashed against him, one after another after another. He hadn't slept in 40 hours. He was already exhausted, and releasing all of this emotion sent him over the edge. He couldn't fight sleep any longer. He had no choice but to blindly navigate on his hands and knees to the spot under the floor underneath his piano and succumb to the overpowering gravity of sleep. He laid his head on the wadded-up canvas, curled his knees into his chest, and folded his arms, using his body as a kind of blanket. By this point, the gauze covering his face was soaked with tears. He slowly peeled it away from his skin, revealing the horizontal striped cuts from his hairline to the bottom of his chin. Thin lines stacked the length of his face, but his nose appeared to have received the most damage and deepest cuts. It was red and swollen, while the rest of the cuts appeared to be clean, shallow stripes. Without the gauze, the cool air rushed to his raw skin, 
accented by the remaining residue from his tears. It was equally refreshing and painful. He winced and then opened one eye slowly, testing to see how painful it would be before opening both to the cool air. The first thing he saw was the tear-soaked, blood-crusted gauze in his hands. He opened his other eye to bring it into focus. He was too tired to be upset at the sight, but he knew that he didn't want to see it the next time he opened his eyes. So he weakly discarded the gauze over his shoulder, returned his arms to their folded human blanket position, and closed his eyes. Sleep's gravity instantly took hold and hurtled him through the atmosphere, crashing through the surface of the conscious world and breaking through to the unconscious realm. The Return A high-pitched, piercing squeal startled Adolf's eyes open. Total darkness. He was lying on the ground in the same position he had fallen asleep in. His face was pressed against the cold ground that could not be seen but could be felt. He knew where he was. He had been avoiding this place for over 40 hours, and he knew that his absence would not go unpunished. Another high-pitched squeal. This one much louder, angrier, roar-like. It echoed in every direction. Adolf slowly sat upright. Deep down, he was afraid, but he had run out of the surface fear that required energy to express. He was defeated, thinking, what could possibly be worse than what I've already been through? He turned his head to the right, half-heartedly watching for the angry white mare. Nothing. He turned to the left. Nothing. He swung his hands upward, sending the message, well, let's get on with it, with his entire demeanor. He was broken, not into moral submission, but into the acceptance that no good was coming for him. Everything was wrong now. Everything was evil. He was in hell, in both the conscious and unconscious worlds. He unhurriedly climbed to his feet, waiting for the pain to reveal itself but not giving it the satisfaction of seeing him in anguish. He was visibly numb. He waited. The total darkness was now accompanied by total silence. This tension was intentional. The mare was punishing him, and it was determined to show him that it was worthy of his anguish. He had every reason to be afraid, and yet he was numb to the mare's siren. Letting him wait was the mare's way of taking this psychological warfare to the next level determined to strike fear into Adolf's shattered soul. He waited. It had been too long, uncomfortably long. He began to wonder if the mayor, his mother, or whatever was controlling this place had decided to leave him here, to spend eternity in this purgatory of absolute deprivation. He was numb, but eternity and nothing did scare him. The longer he waited, the more it scared him. He felt as if he had already gone mad, but the kind of mad he would encounter if trapped here was worse than anything he had imagined. This, he thought, this is worse than what I've already been through. He became visibly afraid. The mare had won. He heard a whoosh and simultaneously felt a burst of air on the back of his neck. It was warm, but it made the hair on the back of his neck stand on end as if it was ice cold. Another whoosh of warmth. He knew that the mare was right behind him, mere inches away. He didn't want it to be real, but a snort made it undeniable, and he slowly began turning toward the mare. The instant his eyes finally connected with the mare's face, it released a booming roar, striking fear into every bone in Adolf's body, every fiber of his being, and it continued roaring until Adolf was knocked back down to the ground, driven by a combination of force and fear. The fear had made him weak but it was the inability of his ears to handle the deafening volume of the roar that had knocked him down. The pressure had instantly made him lose balance. To hear something so loud that it disabled his body's ability to balance was truly terrifying. He held up a hand to shield himself from the mare. 
It was a futile reflex. His other hand tended to his ears, scrambling to stop the ringing and release the pressure. He looked past his hand to the mare, but it was gone. Confused, frightened, and dazed, he searched for a sign of the mare in any direction. Nothing. But the mare had toyed with him, making him wait for several minutes before striking. It could easily happen again. He continued searching for the white terror, moving from his fallen, half-laying, half-seated position to his knees. His eyes darted from one direction to the other. His breath quickened. Adolf had discovered that the thing he feared most was this nothing. The nothing of being trapped for eternity in total darkness and silence. The nothing of the mare toying with him by making him wait. Nothing was horrifying. He staggered to his feet, continuing the frantic search. Still dizzy, the rapid and random turning from his search made him feel like the entire void was spinning around him, and nausea now added to his growing list of critical malfunctions. This was now a true meltdown. He fell back to his knees, stretching out his wobbly arms and sobbing in frustrated defeat. Adolf, this is unavoidable, Adolf's mother said sternly from behind him. Her body language judged Adolf for his present state, for his insubordination, and for his stubbornness. Adolf's sobs ceased. Her voice triggered the memory of the last time they spoke, of the evil she had ordered of him, of his suspicions that someone or something was controlling her, or worse, that it may not be his mother after all. He wasn't sure what to do or say. He remained on his knees, mouth dropped open, arms slowly lowering from their outstretched state, his eyes looking in the direction of his mother, but his head and body remaining stationary. Like feeling the mare breathing on his neck, he didn't want to turn around, because that made it real. Did you think you could just never sleep again? She scolded, taking a step, then another, walking in orbit toward Adolf's front-facing view. He wouldn't need to turn around. She was coming to him, and mother was not happy. Adolf's eyes first caught her boot stepping into his peripheral, and they followed as she walked forward toward his direct line of sight, scanning every detail about her appearance upward as she stepped deliberately. That's when he saw the cloak. The cloak that he had noticed the first time he encountered her in this place. The cloak that he had found odd because he had never seen it before, yet everything else about her appearance was exactly how he remembered it. Did the cloak mean something? It wasn't particularly noteworthy in appearance. It was plain-looking, black with an unrecognizable black pattern that was barely visible. She stopped when she reached his direct attention, and with her arms folded, turned, looked down at Adolf with disgust, and ordered him to stand with just the direction of her hand signal. Adolf wouldn't look her in the eyes. He was staring straight ahead, but not at her, more so through her, distant and detached. Her disgust turned to anger, and she slowly leaned forward to put her eyes level with his. She unfolded her arms, planting her hands on her knees as she lowered her upper body. She stared directly into his soul. He was still distant, looking at her eyes but not into them. This angered her more. Get up. She commanded with deliberate articulation. She pursed her lips in frustration. Adolf was a tearful, snotty mess. The mayor had tortured him to bring his fear to the foreground, and now he feared that this was merely intermission. Finally, he looked into his mother's eyes. She was now as close to him as the mayor had been when it breathed on his neck. He searched her eyes for a sign. Was this really her or something different? If this was her, what was controlling her? This was not the woman he remembered. He examined each eye, seeking a message, a glimmer of hope, something to explain her complicit role in all of this. Her right eye was just as he remembered it, 
hazel green on the outside fading to chestnut brown at the pupil. Her left eye was the same color, but it had strange markings in the iris, almost as if layers of the iris had been eaten away in several spots. It wasn't right. He had looked into his mother's eyes thousands of times. This wasn't her. He looked away from her to the ground, still on his knees, his head now hung low, not in shame, but in realization that the person or thing he had been seeing all this time, that he had trusted, that he had embraced, was not his mother, and the hell he now lived in had dealt yet another blow to his fragile mind. His reality was a farce. He thought back to the events that led to this moment and questioned their reality. Had he built the piano? Was Frida really gone? Did he speak? He couldn't know, but the pain that he felt was real. The grief for Frida was real. This place, this chamber of nothing, maybe it wasn't. If this wasn't really his mother, what else was merely a charade? The mayor? His mission? What would happen if he simply refused? His mother, or whoever had assumed her form, threatened that if he refused, he would spend the rest of his days breaking rocks in prison. Was that real? He slowly looked up at her with these thoughts racing through his mind. As much as he tried to hide it, the rebellion brewed in his eyes. She noticed it immediately, surprised and slightly disarmed, vulnerable. She stood upright, tilted her head, and placed her hand on her chest, unable to disguise her momentary surprise. Realizing this, she had to quickly counter. She could have composed herself, put on her most proud and authoritative face and asserted herself over him, but she saw a coup d'etat in his eyes. This was no longer a battle of authority. She needed to change her strategy and begin the battle of emotion. She segued her surprise into panicked paranoia. She began to look around frantically as if they were being watched by someone who could not be seen in the void. Her eyes darted with fear. Her breath quickened. She slowly leaned forward and brought her hand from her chest to beside her mouth in preparation to deliver a whisper. She needed to shield the sound and sight of her words from whomever or whatever was out there. Without looking at him but continuing to search with her eyes, she whispered with short breaths, Adolf, please, he'll destroy us both. You have to do this, if not for you. She now looked him squarely in the eyes with intense deliberation, delivering the rest of her words from her eyes into his. For me, she held this gaze and released a single tear. Adolf was shaken. Her fear was unexpected. He had thought after their last encounter that maybe she was under the control of someone or something else. This confirmed it. But what about the eye, the cloak? Could those be the results of her being controlled? What had she already endured? This was her, but something else was controlling her, forcing her to play this role, to convince her own son to kill. Why? What does it want? How would it destroy them? His eyes watered with empathy for her. Destroy? He whispered back, looking back into her eyes and reinforcing the gravity of his questions. Our souls, Adolf. He feeds on their energy. She spoke quickly, eyes now darting around again. She quickly stood upright, snapped her composure into place, returned her eyes to his, and announced with authority, You must take twelve more souls. There is no choice. You cannot run from this. Her body and face may have conveyed authority, but her eyes conveyed the hidden meaning. She needed him. They were both in danger. Adolf took time to let her words sink into his bones. His mind was now delivering the news to his heart that he must kill again, and not just once, but twelve more times. There was no choice. As his heart received this news, it forced a flood of tears to his eyes. His face contorted in sorrow. 
He curled forward into his hands and sobbed. He had been sentenced to death, but not his death. His mother looked upon him with her stern facade, but still carrying eyes. Will you oblige? She curtly asked. Adolf continued sobbing. You must say it, Adolf, she pleaded. Yes, he yelled at her, then began turning in every direction and yelling for whoever was out there to hear. I'll do it. The words pained his heart, which sent another wave of sobbing out of him. A tear formed in his mother's eye. She swallowed her sorrow for him, blinked the pending tear away, and nodded to confirm. The blinding curtain that signaled his departure from the void quickly washed over. Adolf didn't open his eyes, but he could feel the light enveloping him. Knock, 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 knock. Adolf was pulled out of his slumber by rapping at his door. The sun penetrated his cabin and forced him to squint. The rapping continued. Adolf? Mr. Becker called. I'm here with the doctor, he announced. Adolf's eyes opened fully with fear. His heart pounded. The situation he had just been plucked from was still heavy on his chest. He gasped, feeling as if he had been drowning in darkness. He quickly moved to sit up, forgetting that he was underneath his piano. Bam! The top of his head collided with the bottom of the piano's body and sent a burst of pain down his skull, accompanied by a ringing sound that grew louder as the pain grew. He opened his mouth with a silent scream, moving a hand to his head to inspect the damage. Knock, knock, knock. Adolf. Adolf, are you okay? Mr. Becker had heard the collision and was growingly concerned. Adolf used his elbows to crawl forward out from under the piano, inspected the top of his head once more for blood, and then pushed himself to his feet. He had just discovered that his mother was in danger, agreed to take twelve more souls to save them both, cracked his head on the piano, and now he needed to open the door and act like everything was normal and fine. He closed his eyes and took a deep breath. While doing this, he realized that his gauze was still on the floor underneath the piano. He looked at it and decided that it would be too much work to scramble back for it now. It was too late. There was no going back now. He stepped forward to the door, twisted the handle, and pulled it in toward him. Mr. Becker's ear had been up to the door, so he fell slightly forward when Adolf swung the door open. He caught himself and looked to Adolf. You could tell by Mr. Becker's reaction that Adolf looked like he had been through hell. Ah, there you are, Mr. Becker said in a much softer, more delicate voice. The doctor scurried himself in, setting his bag down on the floor and scanning the room to audit what tools he might have at his disposal. His eyes couldn't help but catch the piano at first. After all, the only two things to see were the piano and a chair. My word, the doctor raised an eyebrow, impressed. That certainly is a beauty. The doctor turned toward Mr. Becker, who nodded in an I-told-you-so manner. The doctor then noticed the chair. Ah, just have a seat here, Adolf. The doctor's tone had changed. He was now in treatment mode. Adolf sauntered to the chair and lowered himself into it. The doctor examined his injuries closely, placing his hand on the top of Adolf's head to control his movement. Adolf winced. It was impossible to hide the pain of his collision with the piano. The doctor reacted by examining the area. Yes, I see you've earned yourself another goose egg there. Hit your head on the piano, didn't you? The doctor motioned to the wadded-up canvas underneath the piano, a clear sign of a sleeping spot, and he smiled. Adolf nodded. You'll be all right. I'll clean these wounds again, and we'll get some fresh gauze on them. I brought more supplies, so we won't have to cover your entire face this time. The doctor reached into his bag and grabbed a handful of supplies. 
Mr. Becker stepped forward from the doorway and removed his hat as the doctor focused on his work. Did you sleep well, Adolf? Mr. Becker inquired, seeking to quickly fill the quota of small talk so he could move on to a much bigger subject. Adolf shrugged and tilted his head, accepting that yes would have been a bit difficult to believe given his present state. Try not to move, the doctor directed curtly. My fault, doctor, Mr. Becker admitted. He began pacing through the room, looking more closely at the piano and trying to give the doctor room to work. I had an idea after leaving you yesterday, Adolf. Mr. Becker was still looking at the piano. Now, I won't ask you any questions, so you don't have to move. All I ask is that you think about what I'm about to offer. Now Mr. Becker stopped pacing and looked him squarely in the eyes, seeking to punctuate the weight of his words. He wanted Adolf to know that he meant business. Adolf blinked to show that he understood. Mr. Becker resumed his pacing and gazed at the piano, anxiously tapping his hat in his hands. After I left you yesterday, I couldn't stop thinking about your piano. Mr. Becker seemed ashamed at this. Of course, I was worried about your condition, but the piano has fought every unrelated thought for attention. It has haunted me. Mr. Becker explained with utmost sincerity. The doctor continued cleaning Adolf's wounds. Adolf held still and kept his eyes on Mr. Becker as he listened. I think I know why, Mr. Becker continued. This piano wants to be seen. It deserves to be seen, and you deserve recognition for what you've created here. Adolf didn't react, but he didn't feel the same as Mr. Becker. The piano was his curse, and he wanted nothing more than to be freed from it. If it weren't for his mother's soul being at stake, he would set it on fire this instant. Every year, a group of the industry's top authorities tours the factory. It's a chance for us to show off new models and features, and it's critically important because these people shape the industry's demand. They'll be here Friday. Mr. Becker now turned back to Adolf and locked his eyes with him again to deliver the ask. I want to show them this piano, Adolf. I want you to build more of them, and I want to partner with you on all orders for this piano moving forward. You're about to become a very wealthy man. Mr. Becker said with the same tone of sincerity but added a grin. He then resumed his pacing but began looking at the cabin instead of the piano. Of course, to get the piano out of your cabin, we'll have to take out this wall, he explained nonchalantly as he motioned to the side of Adolf's cabin. But after this, you'll be able to buy any house in town or build a much larger cabin right here. The doctor was now applying fresh bandages to Adolf's face. He remained still. He didn't know what to think. None of this really mattered. He was trapped in a living hell. Any glimmer of hope or good was probably just a trick or would somehow turn into another chapter in his nightmare. Nightmare, Adolf thought, remembering that he had been so curious to ask Mr. Becker what he knew about the white mare. The doctor was working on his forehead. If he was going to speak, now would be the time. Adolf cleared his throat. N nightmare, he squeaked out, his voice dry and raspy. Mr. Becker stopped and turned toward Adolf, confused. The doctor stopped and looked at Adolf as well. Both were perplexed by his response to Mr. Becker's offer. What do you know about white mare? Adolf spoke with great care to avoid confusion. Mr. Becker and the doctor looked at each other. The doctor went back to applying fresh gauze, finishing up the last pieces. Mr. Becker looked back to Adolf. The white mare? He sought clarification, but then he remembered what Adolf had said in his office. Nightmare, and that he had responded with something about the horse. 
Ah, the nightmare, Mr. Becker clarified to himself, looking to the ground, then back up to Adolf. Haven't you heard the tales of the Alp? Mr. Becker's face showed surprise. Adolf shook his head as the doctor stepped away after completing his work, leaving Adolf's face gauze-covered once again, but with his eyes and mouth exposed this time. Mr. Becker glanced to the doctor, and then back to Adolf. It's a common tale that I first heard as a young boy, a bit dark for children to hear, but I believe it's still commonly told. Mr. Becker took on the tone of a storyteller now. The Alp is an elf-like creature, but it is, among many things, a shapeshifter, and the white mare is its most common form. Adolf tensed as he absorbed the words. He had never heard any of these tales. The Alp uses trickery to convince you to do things, bad things. I believe that they were all just imaginative lessons used to make children behave or try to explain away bad dreams. The white mare form of the Alp is where the term nightmare comes from, Mr. Becker summarized. Several seconds of silence fell on the room as Adolf looked to the ground and tried to process this information. The white mare wasn't lore to him. The Alp had his mother and was using her soul to force him to kill. This was beyond a children's story. It was a very real nightmare, and he was living it. Breaking the silence and stillness, the doctor picked up his bag and looked to Mr. Becker, signaling to him that he was finished and ready to leave. Mr. Becker looked to him and nodded, and then looked to Adolf. Think about my offer, Adolf. We'll return tomorrow to check on you, and we can discuss your piano further if you're ready. Adolf quickly looked from the ground up to Mr. Becker, who was now stepping toward the door raising his hat to place it on his head. How many people? Adolf asked. Mr. Becker stopped in his tracks with his hat halfway to his head and looked back to Adolf, glancing to the side as he tried to determine what Adolf was asking about. The group that will be visiting on Friday? Mr. Becker asked. Adolf nodded. Mr. Becker finished placing his hat on his head and glanced to the floor while he counted, then looked up to Adolf. Ten he answered. Thinking he had satisfied Adolf's questions and wanting to give him time to think about his offer, he started to step toward the door again. Yes, Adolf interrupted his departure again, and again Mr. Becker stopped dead in his tracks, looking over his shoulder back to Adolf, who was still seated and gauze-covered. Next to his glorious piano, he looked like a mad mummy. Genius presents itself in strange ways, thought Mr. Becker. Adolf pushed himself up to his feet, straightened his posture, and addressed Mr. Becker once again. I'll do it. Adolf affirmed, confident in his words. A slow smile crept over Mr. Becker's face. Excellent, Mr. Becker replied, nodding to Adolf in agreement. We can discuss details tomorrow, he added, stepping out the door and being bathed in sunlight before turning back to Adolf one more time before departing. Just one more thing. Mr. Becker was now a backlit silhouette. Did Frida happen to visit you last Friday? Adolf's heart sank. He did his best not to let his eyes communicate his guilt and shook his head slightly. Mr. Becker gave a single disappointed nod, and with that, he turned away, and with the doctor at his side, started the long walk back to the road where his carriage was waiting. Adolf stepped to his door and watched as they walked away. His mother had told him that an opportunity would arise and that he had to oblige to save her soul. This group of people would satisfy ten of the twelve remaining souls he had to take, thirteen in total. He accepted in his core that he would do it. He would follow through. He would murder ten people at once, 
for his mother. He slowly closed the door on who he once was and began a new journey as a bringer of death and harvester of souls. I hope you enjoyed part two of Piano Man, and yes, there is a part three. Stay tuned. <laughs>